0: Hello and welcome, this is Twenty-One. Episode 9.1, The World's Most Sacred Site Imagine yourself coming down the side of a hot, dry hill and approaching the city. The caravan that you and your family are a part of have been traveling south for almost a week. The people are getting tired of traveling, the camels and donkeys need to be rested, and the sacrifice animals are getting harder and harder to keep with you. Lambs, doves, and oxen. You also have some grain, wine, and incense for other sacrifices. You have these by the camel load. The year is 944 B.C. This journey has been one that your family has made for years, for generations even. But this time, it would be different. This time, the project which has been underway for just about the past decade was finally complete. You've heard dazzling stories about this new temple. How it was blinding in the midday sun, and how it sparkled by torchlight at night. You cannot wait to see it for yourself. As you and your caravan arrive in Jerusalem, immediately you feel claustrophobic. The city is packed full of people, like sardines in a jar. You can hardly move. Shouting assaults you from all directions, assaulting your ears, and you're unsure of where to look. All around you there are vendors selling food, drinks, robes, sacrifice animals, and all sorts of trinkets. The braying of the animals only adds to the oppressive sound. But you know you can't get stuck here in the gate. You have to get your caravan through before the one that is following you gets there. So you begin shouting at the others with you in the caravan, hoping that they can hear you over the noise. You tell them to move the animals, take the sacrifices with you, and get camp set up quickly. The caravan begins to break up a group of men begin pulling the camels and donkeys to the left through the crowds towards the stables another group of men begin unloading tents off other animals as they're moving the rest of the caravan pushes through the crowd but the whole city is busting at the seams making the tasks even more challenging Finally, you lead your group to a small hill on the other side of the city. The tents get set up, the fires get burning, and the remaining animals are fed and are down for the night. Things are finally beginning to settle down. The feast was scheduled to begin tomorrow, so just about everyone from the twelve tribes of Israel was already in the city. At least that's what it felt like. You look around and see a number of other campsites around you. You take it all in, enjoying the silence as the city seems to have gone to rest. The sun has set, and the people are turning in for the night. It will be a big day tomorrow. But you can't sleep. You've spent the last few years in Phoenicia, a kingdom just to the north, working for their king Hiram. You are a lumberjack if they had those in the ancient world. But your job has been cutting down trees. The best trees in Phoenicia, nonetheless. These were being shipped south here to Jerusalem for this grand temple. You want to see what this lumber has built, before the oppressive crowds of tomorrow drown it out. It's late and you should go to bed, but you decide to go see the temple first. So you begin to walk into the heart of the city. There are enough torches and fires lit that you can see where you're going. Fortunately, there are very few people out as well. You walk through a maze of side streets before emerging into a huge plaza. You stop and can't help but stare. There in front of you, glistening in the torchlight, is the most magnificent building you have ever seen. You fall to your knees in worship, as this, the home of God on earth, has to be the most sacred site in all the world. I hope you enjoyed that little trip through time. What you are staring at is the ninth wonder of the ancient world, and certainly its most mythical, King Solomon's Temple to Jehovah at Jerusalem. You have undoubtedly heard of King Solomon's Temple. Whether in movies, TV, books, etc., it is a common piece used in both fiction and non-fiction. The temple itself, though, was real. But as always, before we get too far into the temple itself, we need to look at the context. Now this could get very deep, as there are a number of rabbit trails that I could potentially go down here, but I will do my best to stay on track. Fortunately, we are not going to cover the entire history of the Israeli people before the temple was built. That's just way too much information for the purposes of this show. I will, however, do a brief history of the people of Israel just so we understand how they got here when our main man comes on the stage. To start, we have to go all the way back to Abraham. God appeared to Abraham and told him to leave his hometown and go to a land where God would show him. Abraham obeyed, taking his family hundreds of miles from his hometown of Ur in southeastern Mesopotamia. God led him all the way to the other side of Mesopotamia, the land which is modern day Israel. God told Abraham and Sarah that, through their son, he would form a great nation, which numbered like the sand on the seashore, and he would be their God. There was a slight problem though. Both Abraham and Sarah were past the age where conceiving a child is possible. But God blessed them anyways, and Sarah gave birth to a son named Isaac. Isaac would then go on to have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob would then go on to have 12 sons, and these sons would be the founding fathers of the 12 tribes Of what would become the nation of Israel. Israel would go through plenty of rough patches, though. A famine in Judea would cause the whole nation to move south to Egypt, where there was grain. One of Jacob's sons, by the name of Joseph, had risen to the rank of Prime Minister of Egypt before the famine. God had shown him in a dream that the famine was coming, so he prepared accordingly. The israelites were welcomed down in egypt initially but eventually as the israelites grew in numbers the egyptians enslaved them to prevent them from taking over the country after a few hundred years of slavery god brought moses along to lead the israelites out of egypt and slavery and back to their lands but the israelites took this rather sourly they complained about being rescued from slavery and as a result god made them wander the deserts of southern judea and arabia for 40 years when they finally did enter their promised land god gave them victory in their battles as they conquered the peoples there the most famous of these battles of course was the battle of jericho where god caused the walls of this great city to collapse allowing the Israelites to capture the city easily. After conquering the majority of the promised land and settling down, the Israelites would wane in their commitment to God. And as punishment, God allowed them to be raided and subdued by their neighbors. But when the people would repent and cry out to God for help, he would send them a leader, a judge, to drive out the enemy and save the people. This, back and forth, went on for hundreds of years, until the people of Israel began to want a king to rule them, instead of judges, or God himself. The first king of Israel was a man named Saul. Chosen by the people, he was a big, strong man, but he did not follow after God. So God took the kingdom from him and gave it to a young man named David. You probably have heard of at least one story of King David. As a young man, he killed the giant Goliath with his slingshot. David, unlike Saul, was a devout man, a man being described as being after God's own heart. Now up to this point from Moses to David, worship of God took place in a very special location. A big fancy tent that moved with the Israelite camps called the tabernacle. It was inside this tabernacle where God's presence would reside with his people. It also housed the famous mythical artifact, the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence would reside while the people were moving. The Ark of the Covenant also housed the famous Ten Commandments given to Moses. But as Israel continued to settle the land, the need for a tent was diminishing. The Israelites had established a new capital at Jerusalem. They had made the transition from nomads to an established civilization. And as such, King David wanted to build an elaborate temple to worship God and also to house the Ark of the Covenant. But despite David being called a man after God's own heart, God told David, No. In the Bible, in 1 Chronicles 28, David himself tells us why. It says, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and people of Israel. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for the building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. He, God, said to me, It is Solomon your son who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever, if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules, as he is today. King David then gave his son Solomon his plans for the temple. Everything he had been working on. Numbers, weights, measurements, all of it. This way, when Solomon became king, he would be able to construct the temple immediately. And he would strive to do so. But the reign of King Solomon would be one of the greatest reigns in the history of the world, by any ruler, anywhere. While Solomon was still a young man, God appeared to him and said, Ask of me anything you want, and it shall be given to you. I can't imagine what that must have felt like for a young man. But Solomon knew the task that was going to be handed to him. Ruling a people is no easy thing. So Solomon asked God for wisdom to rule the people of Israel well. God granted him his request, and gave him such wisdom that there was no one before him wiser. And he surely has been one of the wisest men in history. And because he didn't ask for wealth, or victory in battle, or anything selfish like that, God said that all of those things would be his too. God blessed Solomon in a way that very few people have been blessed in history. People came from all over the known world to hear King Solomon's wisdom. And God was true to his promise. King Solomon's reign would literally be the golden age of Israel. Gold and silver were so common in Israel during his reign that they were more like stone. His wealth may very well have been the greatest of any individual ruler of any kingdom, ever. Or any individual to ever exist, for that matter. The Bible records in 2 Chronicles chapter 9 that every year Solomon received over twenty-five tons of gold. Now whether this was from gifts, his gold mines, tributes, other payments, etc., we do not know. It's probably a combination of all of those. And this verse doesn't even mention the amount of silver, bronze, spices, incense, perfumes, dyes, clothes, exotic animals, cedar, or any other valuable commodity in the ancient world given to King Solomon. King Solomon also imported the best horses from Egypt and Arabia for his army and his palace. Now, I'm going to take a small detour here just because it's fascinating. There's no way for us to know today what the extent of Solomon's wealth was, as in like a dollar amount or an amount that we can understand. But historians have done their best to convert his wealth into today's money. And the number they have gotten is astronomical. Historians estimate that King Solomon's wealth amounted to somewhere between two and two and a half trillion dollars. Two to two and a half trillion dollars. Just to compare, Jeff Bezos, one of the wealthiest people on the planet today, his net worth is $208 billion. King Solomon's wealth was almost ten times that amount. We looked at the cost of the Great Lighthouse of Alexandria a few weeks ago, and it was estimated that it cost around $1.3 million, which is still a lot. But King Solomon could have paid for almost 2,000 Great Lighthouses himself. This is frankly unbelievable. I'm honestly struggling to comprehend this amount of wealth. But God fulfilled his promise to Solomon. Since Solomon didn't ask for wealth or anything for his personal gain, God gave him all of those things too. Solomon's wealth was so vast that it's no wonder that there have been rumors circulating ever since his reign that he had some vast treasure room. And there's no doubt that that was the case at the height of his reign. Now, whether this treasure still remains hidden today is highly unlikely. Judea and Jerusalem in particular has been one of the most highly contested areas in the world throughout history, and there have been hundreds of different armies to come through there since the time of Solomon. But it was from this vast wealth that King Solomon was able to begin the construction of the Temple to Jehovah. For the Temple of Jehovah... King Solomon spared no expense. He literally had more money than he knew what to do with. But also only the finest, purest, and best quality would do for the Lord God. Now, I normally am not able to do this, but I'm just going to read what is recorded in the Bible about the construction of the Temple of Solomon to Jehovah. Having a written account of the materials, how long it took, how much, etc., is rare for any of the wonders on this list or any building that's older than the past 150 years or so. So I thought I would take advantage of this opportunity. The construction of the Temple of Solomon to Jehovah at Jerusalem is recorded in 1 Kings chapters 5 and 6. Neither of these chapters is super long so I will read them both in their entirety. This way we're able to get a complete picture of the Temple. 1 Kings, Chapter 5 When Hiram, king of Tyre, that is Phoenicia, heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father David, he sent envoys to Solomon, because he had always been on friendly terms with David. Solomon sent this message back to Hiram. You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God, until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. So give orders that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, My men will work with yours, and I will pay you for your men whatever wages you set. You know that we have no one so skilled in felling timbers as the Sidonians. When Hiram heard Solomon's message, he was greatly pleased and said, Praise be to the Lord today, for he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. So Hiram sent word to Solomon, I have received the message you sent me and will do all you want in providing the cedar and juniper logs my men will haul them down from lebanon to the mediterranean sea and i will float them as rafts by sea to the place you specify there i will separate them and you can take them away and you are to grant my wish by providing food for my royal household in this way Hiram kept Solomon supplied with all the cedar and juniper logs he wanted, and Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, in addition to 20,000 baths of pressed oil. Solomon continued to do this for Hiram year after year. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom, just as he had promised him. There were peaceful relations between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon conscripted laborers from all Israel, 30,000 men. He sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month, so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had 70,000 carriers and 80,000 stonecutters in the hills, as well as 3,300 foremen who supervised the project and directed the workers. At the king's command, they removed from the quarry large blocks of high-grade stone to provide a foundation of dressed stone for the temple. The craftsmen of Solomon and Hiram and workers from Byblos cut and prepared the timber and stone for the building of the temple. Chapter 6 In the 418th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, it's about 586 to 587 BC, In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 wide, and 30 high. The portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple, that is 20 cubits, and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple. He made narrow windows high up on the temple walls. Against the walls of the main hall and inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building, in which there were side rooms. The lowest floor was five cubits wide, the middle floor six cubits, and the third floor seven. He made offset ledges around the outside of the temple so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. In building the temple, Only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. The entrance to the lowest floor was on the south side of the temple. A stairway led up to the middle level, and from there to the third. So he built the temple and completed it, roofing it with beams and cedar planks. And he built the side rooms all along the temple. The height of each was five cubits, and they were attached to the temple by beams of cedar. The word of the Lord came to Solomon, As for the temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to your father David. I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and completed it, He lined its interior walls with cedar boards, paneling them from the floor of the temple to the ceiling, and covered the floor of the temple with planks of juniper. He partitioned off twenty cubits at the rear of the temple with cedar boards, from the floor to the ceiling to form within the temple an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. The main hall in the front of the room was forty cubits long. Inside the temple was cedar, carved with gourds and open flowers. Everything was cedar. No stone was to be seen. He prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple and set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide, and 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold, and he also overlaid the altar of cedar. So Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold, and he extended gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with gold. So he overlaid the whole interior with gold. He also overlaid with gold the altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary. For the inner sanctuary he made a pair of cherubim out of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the first cherub was five cubits long, the other wing five cubits. Ten cubits from wingtip to wingtip. The second cherub also measured ten cubits, for the two cherubim were identical in size and shape. The height of each cherub was ten cubits. He placed the cherubim inside the innermost room of the temple with their wings spread out. The wing of one cherub touched one wall, while the wing of the other touched the other wall and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. He overlaid the cherubim with gold. On the walls all around the temple, in both the inner and outer rooms, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He also covered the floors of both the inner and outer rooms of the temple with gold. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary he made doors out of olive wood that were one-fifth the width of the sanctuary. And on the two olive wood doors he carved cherubim, palm trees and open flowers, and overlaid the cherubim and palm trees with hammered gold. In the same way, for the entrance to the main hall, he made door frames out of olive wood that were one-fourth the width of the hall. He also made two doors out of juniper wood, each having two leaves that turned in sockets. He carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them and overlaid them with gold, hammered evenly over the carvings. And he also built the inner courtyard of three courses of dressed stone and one course of trimmed cedar beams. The foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid in the fourth year, in the seventh month of Ziv. In the eleventh year of the month of Bull, The eighth month, the temple was finished in all its details according to its specifications. He had spent seven years building it. We will go into some greater details about the ornate, intimate details about the interior and the furnishings of the Temple of Solomon next week. This week, I just wanted to lay out the entire construction of the temple. The amount of gold used to overlay the construction is astounding. Everything inside the temple was either made of gold or overlaid with gold. This seems like foolishness to us, but gold was the purest, rarest, most sacred material in the ancient world. And only the best would do for the temple of the Lord. So Solomon behaved accordingly and made sure that there was no doubt to whom this temple was dedicated. All a passerby would have had to see was the golden, well, everything, and they would have known that this deity was something different. Whatever God the Jews worshipped, he was different than the rest. Which was exactly the point. The Temple of Solomon to Jehovah at Jerusalem was, without a doubt, the most expensive wonder of the ancient world. Not in that it cost the most to build. That's possible, too but in the sheer amount of precious materials that went into the actual building itself. Gold, cedar, and juniper was not cheap. But the gold and precious materials did not stop there. Next week we will look at all the furnishings of this great temple, which only added to its magnificence. We will also begin to discuss the history of this temple, and how, not long after Solomon built it, that foreign armies were being paid off with temple treasures.